So, yes, Pastor Clyde said, I want you to bring in the revelation of rest. And after last night's word, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to need that. <laughs> because when he was downloading that last night, how many of you heard that word I gave last night? Were all of you here mostly? Okay. So, you know, he, what he's saying is, I know that you've been knocked down, but it's time to get up. So when we get up, how we get up and what we do next and the spirit in which we do it and the heart posture in which we do something is so important because when we get back up, we need to get up differently than we were before. Okay. And so just rewind about 15 years ago, I was sitting at a table praying with some gals and we do this thing called listening prayer. It's really cool. And basically one person at the table, okay, you're it, you're in the hot seat. We all have a piece of paper and it's time to listen for that person. And so we just, the rules are, if you see it, you hear it, whatever, you draw it, you write it and don't question it and just put it down. It's a really great way to practice hearing God's voice. And so it was my turn and the Holy Spirit said, Jenny, I want you to listen for yourself too. And so I began drawing a tornado on a piece of paper. And I was like, what is this? This is interesting. And I said, Lord, what, you know, what are you doing here? And he, he just downloaded it quickly. And it's going to take me longer to explain it. You know how when God tells you something, it just kind of, it doesn't come in words and sentences. It just comes in a revelation. But let me try to unpack it for you. So basically he said, your paradigm of work and rest is inaccurate. Okay, you don't, under, you don't get it. You don't understand how work and rest work together. You think they're separate. You think you work and then you rest. And he said, in fact, you think that rest is a verb. He said to me, it's not a verb, it's a place. And then he said, this tornado here is basically kind of how you see your life. Your paradigm of your life is, okay, this weekend, you know, we've got City Awakening, and then it'll be done on Saturday, and then I got church on Sunday morning, and then I have this window of time right after church, like, like, like four or five hours that I'm just going to get to rest. He said, that is how you've been living your life. And it's really called fantasy. Because you're fantasizing relief and you're fantasizing rest. You're fantasizing something better on the other side of where you are right now. Even though you're in what you want to be doing, you're fantasizing a relief coming. And he said, but have you noticed that when that storm, he said, let's call it what it is. You're treating it like it's chaos. That's how you see it, chaos. Have you noticed that when that storm has moved out, another one's already moved in, and it's taken up your space that you fantasized as protected to rest? And he said, do you want to keep living this way? Do you want to keep fantasizing a better moment than the one you're living in? Do you want to live your life always in the future where there's a better moment on the other side of now? He said, or, you can walk with me and I will help you discover a place called rest. And you can have it 24 hours a day, 24 seven. And then he said, right smack dab in the middle of your life, your right now, your life right now, the one you're living today, not the one yesterday, not the one that, you know, tonight, but the one you're living in right now, he said, that there is a center and it's where everything is perfectly still. 
The inside of now has a stillness to it. And he said, that's where I am. I'm in the middle of your now. I'm in your now moment. I'm not on the other side of when the kids get in school finally because of driving me nuts in the summer. I'm not on the other side of this weekend. I'm not on the other side of when this kind of settles in. I am right here, right now, in the center where everything is perfectly still. And then he said, I'll meet you there. And he was challenging me to find the now. See, how many of you in here are visionaries? And God actually built you to see the future. Me too. It's a curse and a blessing. And he said, I want you, Jenny, to, I want to be able to give you a far-fetched vision, a vision of the future, and then you're going to have to have this discipline to now live in the now. It's out there, but I'm here. I'm not out there missing my here. Because you can miss your whole life. And he started breaking things down. This was a 10-year revelation before I wrote a book about it. And I just had to live it out. I just had to live it out and walk it out. He would do things like, hey, what you doing right now? I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) It's like, I just want you to pay attention right now. And I would discover myself kind of bullying my family or Bob or anybody around me that loved me unconditionally in irritability. And he said, you, you, you're using irritability to get through this afternoon because you're thinking, if I could just get to five o'clock I'll, and all these people will forgive me, so I'm gonna use irritability to get through. And he started addressing these things called false fuels. That's a false fuel, that's a false right. way to energize yourself. I mean, he was busting me at left and right, like pull over, okay, sirens, eh, infraction, like for 10 years. And I had to come to terms that my way of living my life was not the best way, as productive as I was. But see, God doesn't call us to live a productive life. He doesn't. He calls us to live a fruitful life. That's different. The bail structure, bail, that's the God of productivity. And if you are under that curse, if you are under the curse of producing, 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 you are getting worn thin and your family's paying for it. You know what I discovered? The people who I love the most, I'm treating like I don't love them at all. Because I was under the God of Baal, which was to produce, produce, and here's the tricky part. I was doing all the things that God was asking me to do, but serving the God of productivity. Not a good way to live. You don't get the fruits of the spirit that way. You can get things done, you can impress a lot of people, you can even make a lot of money. You can look at all your productivity and go, look how, look how successful I am. But on the inside, there is something that grinds and works, and you actually begin to think that that is the only way. That's your only way to live. There's a better way. Everybody say there's a better way. And when you find it, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm high. I feel like I am high most of the time. I'm not kidding you. I have this like 
I mean, I don't need drugs. I just got the Holy Ghost. And he keeps adding stuff to my plate. He keeps saying, oh, let's write another book. Oh, now that you're done, a devotional. I was last week and we had a writer's conference. And my 13-year-old goes, what are you doing, mom? What are you doing in the chapel? Because, you know, we live over there. And I said, well, we're doing a writer's conference. She goes, are you writing another book? You know, like, why, you know? But now I can say yes to the things that God's asking me to do because I do not fear. I do not fear going into the grind. I had to figure out how to get in the river of rest and let my God bring fruit up out of me. I used to think that things had to be hard in order for them to be productive. I, I just, I couldn't, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to just step into the blessing of God and the favor of God. I was challenging somebody last night and they, they had something very favorable happen to them in business. And I said, that's so cool. It was basically God just handed them like, here you go. And they go, yeah, but I mean, that wasn't real. It, it wasn't real because we didn't work for it. And I go, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to think about it. So you don't think it's real business if you didn't have to work for it. I used to believe stuff like the fox that chases two rabbits gets none. Be honest, how many people have ever believed that? I believe that. I used to teach people that. See, you have to repent for all this. I'm so sorry, Lord. You're being so stupid. Believing stuff, believing everything I heard. Not asking you, not filtering it through your word. And he said, if you believe the fox that chases two rabbits gets done, then you have to assume that all of my opportunities are running away from you. All of my assignments for your life are running away from you. Wow. See, some of you in here believe you can't do more than one thing well. Yeah. Mm. Come on. So good. And so the keys on your ring, you're really intimidated by all those. You're like, wait, this key? No. Oh, oh I can't. I can't because I got this one I'm working on. Well, there's a, there's a belief system. There's an error in your belief system. Because if God calls you to it, it's his job to bring you through it. It's really on him. I say all the time, people are like, oh my gosh, how about the retreat center? And, you know, we have to pay this whole thing off. And I'm like, that's, that's his problem. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It is, it's his problem. Every business he asks me to do, it's his problem. I'm just going to show up, jump in the river, say yes. I know who I am. See, that's why identity Pastor Clyde teaching identity is so critical because I know who I am, the five most powerful words in my life right now, I know who I am, allows me to say yes to things and not care. And not care what other people think of me. I don't care. Maybe that's just being over 40. I don't know. Okay, I need to read Hebrews 4 because this is kind of where we're at this afternoon. Hebrews 4, this is the New Living Translation. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Notice that that is not a verb. That is not an action. It's entering a place. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. I think it's the only place in the Bible that says be very afraid. Tremble with fear if you don't experience this place of rest. Actually, that you don't enter it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. Who's he talking about? The Israelites. 
Do you remember Joshua and Caleb? Went across, spat out the land, 40 days, came back. And they said, we can take the land. But the other 10 guys with them, the no names, they didn't get their name in there because they were doubtful, fearful. And they talked everybody into not entering. He's talking about them. They didn't enter rest. Where was rest? The promised land. The promised land. And it looks so restful. They're those big giants. See, that's the other thing. We think our land of rest doesn't have motion and commotion. There's a reason the giants are standing in your promised land. Because they're trying to protect it from you taking it. But it is your promised rest. God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. That is key. You have to obey God to enter, enter the place of rest, which is your promised land. You have to. There's no scooting around that. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. That's not Jenny saying this. This is in the scriptures. That time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And there's some more in here about rest and Joshua. But God has prepared a rest for you. And it's just my job to try to convince you of it in the next few minutes to enter it because nobody will be able to enter it for you. Nobody will be able to enter it for you. It is a place where you have to enter it with your own free will. So how do you get there? Well, I call it the pocket. Okay, I call it the pocket. It's this space where if you enter into it, you actually, and I talk about it in the book still, there's, there's seven ways to find calm in the chaos. That's what this book is. I would have never picked up this book 15 years ago. Still, I'm like, no thanks. I have so much going on in my life. I have so many kids. I have all this stuff going on. I'm like, nope, this book has slowed me down. <laughs> but God wasn't trying to slow me down. He was trying to bless me and be able to um, help me contain the blessings of God without bringing sorrow on my own life. So there's seven ways to enter rest. It's a pocket, it's a space. It's that space where you are literally worried about nothing. All hell can be breaking loose around you and you actually are not worried an ounce. At all, none. And it's really interesting, if you go into the pocket of rest but you smuggled in some guilt, It'll push you back out. 
I try to smuggle in it all the time. I'm like, oh Lord, you're so awesome. He's like, no, mm -mm, back out. Okay, let me try again. Let me get back in there. I'll give an example. So my fifth baby, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to do this without medication. Okay, I had epidurals for the first four. Long stories there. So it wasn't like I was trying to get some trophy. After you've had four epidurals, it's not like you're going to get a trophy for doing a natural the fifth time. It wasn't about that. I wasn't trying to impress anybody at this point. But I had been through what I call rest training, which the book has this. It's an actual training. I tell people you can go through training. I use exercise actually as a way to train because you have to find something that irritates you and you want to get out of and you're looking at the clock and every minute is going by way too slow, that's where you do rest training. Exercise is a good place. You have to find something irritating that you don't like and that's where you practice finding the pocket of rest. Because when we go face those giants in our promised land, we're gonna to wanna to go, you know what, my, my flesh doesn't like this. I'm so uncomfortable that I'm gonna turn around and go back to the wilderness. So if you will spend time training yourself in irritating situations, you'll actually begin to work through what it feels like to be irritated but not irritated because God's on your side. And so I do this rest training in here, but I'd, I'd done this for years. I rode my exercise bike in the attic. And there's a whole story to that. But I had been in this, I'd come down from my attic and go, Bob, I feel like I'm on drugs up in that attic. And he's like, okay, what are you doing up there? And I'm like, I don't know. I just get on that thing. And I used to look at the time and 15 minutes left and whatever. But I feel this like thing come over me. And I don't even feel like my heart rate's up. I'll look at my heart rate and it's high. I'm like, what is happening? I'm in this like bubble where I, I just feel like I'm not working at all. Like I'm putting no effort in, but there's extreme effort. Like I can't explain it. It just is crazy. And so I began, um, you know, practicing this and practicing this. And then I would, it wasn't about the bike. It was about my life. I would go into a place and feel that same irritation. When I was on the bike, it would be like, oh, my shoelace is clicking up against the pedal. And God would go, well, why don't you just be okay with it? I remember fidgeting around. If you've ever been on a spin bike, I'm fidgeting around on the seat. Holy Spirit goes, you know that seat's not going to get bigger. <laughs> Why don't you just let it hurt? Why don't you just let it hurt? Basically, stop pushing and protecting and, oh, that hurts and this isn't comfortable. Oh, that's irritating. He got me to stop spending my energy in useless ways. And then when I got off the bike, I would go into my life and he would say, don't worry about that. Don't pick that up. I mean, it was, I had to take that training into my life and that's what I was doing. So when it came to my fifth baby and I'm deciding I'm gonna do this without medication, but here's the thing about the pocket is you actually can't control the outcome. So you actually can't say, I'm gonna have a baby without medication. <laughs> you actually have to say, this would be my preference, God. And if you will help me, this is what I would like. But I am not the captain of this ship and you are the writer of my story. So it's all up to you. So I went into the labor room. They said, because of my age, and I was like, what am I, 60? The way they talked to me. Because of my age, they're like, we can't let you be pregnant any longer. My kids never wanted to come out. 
you can't be pregnant any longer. It's dangerous, so we need to induce you. And I said, Lord, this is induction. They say it's like impossible because, you know, they start pumping with all the drugs and to get the baby out, and then you can't have it natural because now you're in this space that's too painful. And the Lord's like, um, why don't you just let that go? I mean, just like everything else, just let that go. So I went in there to be induced, and I told the nurse, I said, I want, my preference is to have a baby without medication, and I'm not in a hurry. That's everything about the pocket. Woohoo! can't be in a hurry. That's a challenge. The pocket won't let you hurry, and it won't let you worry. It won't let you hurry, and it won't let you worry. The two things I was addicted to. It's called control, by the way. So I just told her, I said, I'm not in a hurry, so you don't have to be. And I, I would like a natural birth, but I'm not worried about it. And the second she heard that, she goes, let's do this. Because <laughs> she probably felt like, okay, this, the, like she could fill my space. What happened was um, I had this baby in two hours and 10 minutes. My first pregnancy, our first labor and delivery was 46 hours. My fifth baby was two hours and 10 minutes. The, the, the doctor that was in the room, she was not a believer and she cried through the whole thing because I literally went like this and stood and allowed the Holy Spirit to just completely, and it was like I was on an exercise bike the whole time, just, but no worry, no hurry, no worry, no hurry. And I'm gonna, I, the reason I bring this whole story up is because I want to tell you about what happened in one contraction, okay? I was like, man, I am like high having this baby. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you find the pocket, you're like, woo, no worries in the world. It's like heaven. It's like heaven, okay? And, but all of a sudden, I thought about my mom and I was in this contraction. I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't invite my mom to be here today. <laughs> and I felt guilty. Like, I wonder, if, I wonder if she's offended. All of a sudden, it was like knives <laughs> down on my uterus. And I was like, oh no, mom's okay. Mom, don't care about mom. Not worried about mom. Nope. Who's that lady? Don't even know her. I got thrown out of the pocket so fast because guilt. And see, that is one of the things that I struggled with because my parents were divorced when I was little. And what I found out from being a child of divorced parents is you are supposedly in charge of being on their side and their side. You can't pick sides because they're now against each other. So now you have no boundaries. And you're responsible in your little mind for how people feel and whether they feel included because they've been excluded. Does that make sense? So God was dealing with me and I'm telling you, it'd be so cool if we all had like a little like shock every time we we're out of the pocket. We'd be like, whoa, run right back in that thing. But guilt, fear, condemnation, shame, every bit of it, 
every bit of it will absolutely yank you right out of the pocket. And all of a sudden we're on the outside of the tornado. We're involved in the chaos. We're trying to find control. And here's the thing. I don't live in rest 24 seven. That would be incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm just committed to living more of my life in rest as I, as I get older. But it is more, it's almost more important, not that you're in rest 24 seven, but that you know when you're not. That is what this book is about. It's about knowing when you're not because there is an on-ramp into the pocket the second you realize I'm not in rest right now. I'm not in rest. And that's what this book is about. It's the seven ways. It's the seven ways that God showed me. I'm sure there's a million. It's the seven that he showed me and they're very, very elementary. They had to be for me and they're very quick. Like not in the pocket, back in the pocket. They're that quick in the pocket of rest because in the pocket, this is so cool. In the pocket is where all your creativity is. In the pocket is where all the ideas from heaven. You know that time, just think about it. When you just kind of feel like, whoa, I just got to download. Like if you've ever written a book and all of a sudden it just dumps on paper, that you were in the pocket. Everybody here has been in the pocket, but you have to know what you can't bring in. You can't smuggle in this stuff. Your false identity, yeah, no. There's a big bouncer at the door that says, get out of here. Like you can't come in with that thing. One of the chapters in here is, you know, to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So the pocket does have a dress code. There is a dress code and it is praise. So you can't get into the pocket without God being the majesty. It will, it will have to be on your mind. It will have to be on the forefront of your mind. It will have to be the context for which you are living in in that moment. The second God gets smaller than your problem, you're not in the pocket. So you have to dress in praise. You, you, the garment of praise, it's, it's, it is a dress code. There's a dress code to the pocket and it is praise. All right, so this is really, there's really practical things in here. Obviously I can't go, th go through the whole book, but I do have a couple of things I wanna share with you that were just prophetic stuff just for today and I'll be done in, here in just a moment. So God is getting the bride ready, right? We are the bride. Yes, you guys know what I'm talking about? The bride, right? We are the bride. Now, because we've been, as a whole, maybe a little more concerned about being in church rather than in Christ, we're having to kind of go back to the foundation of being in Christ. That means dying to self, which there is a book launch. I'll tell you about that in a second. We have 30 more spots for the book launch. There's a book I wrote called Wake Up Dead. I know that sounds super motivating, um, <laughs> but it is greater access to the pocket for sure. So he's getting the bride ready. And there was a prophetic word by a couple of people that went forward. We're gonna have a million women, a million Esthers on the lawn at DC. And I know that Pastor Clyde was one of them that released that. I believe that wholeheartedly, but I do have to tell you that I was concerned because I think we can get a million people. I think it'll, I mean, that's a huge number, right? Like it'll be miraculous. But my thought was, who are we gonna be when we get there? Like a bunch of worried control freaks and then we release that on the earth? Like I, I, I was concerned. 
I was concerned. I'm like, okay, showing up is one thing, but how you show up is the greater thing. And how we show up for that prophetic word, that is the work that I'm doing now. That's why we do the rallies. That's why I write books. Because God has told me, I want you to prepare the bride so when I bring her on display and the world stage that she looks not like Bridezilla. <laughs> Nobody likes being around Bridezilla. It's supposed to be her happiest day and she is a wreck because she hasn't found the pocket. And that is my life work is to make sure that the bride says, this is the day that I'm getting married. This is the happiest day. This isn't my day to be mean to everybody. <laughs> and so that's what God's doing. He's coming to each one of us individually, and he's cleaning up the places where we use stress to get our way. He's cleaning up the places within us that want to be in control. I'm the first one to admit that I tried to fix everything, and then when that didn't work, it was like, okay, let's find this pocket. Let's find this space. Next thing is this, and I, I blame this on Jesus because he told me to bring this up. So here, here you go. Uh, last night he said, I want you to talk to them about the scripture in Isaiah. And this is really, really good news. This is not a kick in the pants. It's good. But it's just one of those awkward scriptures. And this is in Isaiah 54, verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. I think we all would agree to that. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So I used to think, oh yeah, our deeds are like filthy rags. That's God saying, I'm way up here and you're a loser. I'm like, okay. God's like, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, sin is filthy, but there's more to this scripture that he downloaded to me. And he said this, he said, Jenny, what is a filthy rag? Well, a filthy rag, they're referencing a menstrual cycle. Okay, so a menstrual cycle is the shedding of the uterine layer because it has what? Not been, in there's no fetus. Right, there's not been a conception. So a filthy rag represents no conception. Your deeds, all by themselves, produce no life. A rag is no life. That's what it means. Filthy rag is no life. But when I get involved, because our deed is a released egg, is what happens. Okay, now we're going to sex ed here, just in case anybody missed it in their lifetime. The ovary every single month releases an egg. And if the egg does not come into contact with a sperm, an implant, and it's just the egg, then it sheds. And that's the filthy rag. And when he, he shared this with me, he said, you know, the American Christian, we're just, release the egg, release the egg, release the this, do the this, do this business, do this, do this. It's about, oh, oh God, yeah, I hope you're involved. 
I hope you're involved in all my doing. I mean, God, come, come bless me, God, come. And he said, but when I get involved, when I intersect with your doing, we are, I always produce life. And this is why we can't touch his glory. I can't look at my children and go, I made you. Forget you, Bob. I made you. You know what I love about parenting? This is so funny. You know when our kids do something that you're just like, okay, this is not good? I'm like, hey, your daughter, she needs inter intervention. But when they do something good, we're like, oh my goodness, you're just so amazing. Because you're mine. <laughs> we are moving into a time and I felt this really strong. We are moving into a time where the Holy Spirit is gonna tap you on the shoulder and say, you just took my glory. Oh. See, we need to be in the glory, under the glory, but don't take it. That's right. Don't take it. That's right. We can start bragging about our church. We can start bragging about our movement. We can start bragging about our ministry. We can start bragging about our logo. We can start bragging about our church service and how awesome it is. That is touching his glory. We can produce nothing apart from him. Nothing. My book was this, and my next one is the same way. God, here's my part. I put it on paper. If you want to impregnate this and send it across the world, do it. But if you don't, that's okay because it was a joy for me to write it for me. But this thing, I don't have to put my godliness behind it to make it go be something. We have to stop it. Stop it. God either bless this if it pleases you, or thank you for giving me a book that I get to go read. And I've read it a lot, because I start losing my mind. And I go, what did you tell me? How do we get back in the pocket? Okay, I am about to kill everybody in my family. Okay, dress code, I just turned to dress code. Perfect, praise, God, thank you. You are the majesty over everything, God. God, you are the king over my motherhood, God. I know that I am just trying to figure this out, but God, you are in control, and I dress myself. I'm serious, this is one of those Russian roulette books. You can just go, boop, okay, good. But it doesn't have to go all over the earth and become something because I already am a something to God. I don't need my efforts to become something for God. I already am. This is where we have to learn the line between what God has assigned me to do, but God, I'm not gonna touch your glory. That's why I was telling Dara, Dara, where are you? She's over there, that's okay, girl, you stay. You stay in the pocket. <laughs> I was telling her earlier, I'm like, I just saw her machine gun, boom, 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 song, 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 song. Get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. And God was like, thank you very much, I'm sending the, this one this way, this one, oh, I'm just gonna take that one for me, I love it so much. This one I'm sending this way, and you let God shoot those things in those directions or put them in his pocket and hide them. Because they're his. These aren't ours. These aren't ours to say, this is what I want it to produce, God. I want to mean something to the world, God. You know what God told me that was so encouraging? When I was all scared to obey him and stuff, he said, Jenny, let me help you. You are a needy nobody. And I said, what a relief. I thought I was going to have to try to be somebody. 
<laughs> he said, no, you're so needy. And he said, find, remember your most desperate moment, your most desperate moment. And he said, that is more real than any time you have ever felt confident. Your desperation is going to anchor you in me. And I saw a picture of me holding his pant leg as a needy little fragile girl who can do nothing apart from him. And then he said, you're needy. And he said, and I'm, I'm gonna let you be a nobody to the world. A nobody. And I was like, that's awesome. Because I'm a somebody to you. When we try to fill ourselves up with what the world can offer us, we will become so disappointed. And the lust of the flesh can't have enough accolades. It can't have enough popularity. It can't have enough, oh, look how much I'm doing on social media. Who cares? Who cares? Right. Now, do I want a large social media following? Well, sure, because I want a whole bunch of people to know about Jesus, but do I need that to, in I don't have a space in me that says you have a better day the more followers you have. No, no. So let's not be in church. Let's be in Christ, in Christ. When we just say, you know what? And I, I just feel, let's just stand to our feet and I'll turn this back over to Pastor Clyde. Just, let's just make this personal decision right now that I'm gonna let all the other things fall away from my mind and my heart that, I've, that I have invited into the space of fulfilling me because really truly, I, I believe everybody in here really knows this, you know this at your core, that his presence is everything. Right. He is everything. And if you have him, you have everything. That's why Bob and I could lose everything and we didn't lose anything. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You can lose everything and you lost nothing. Because God had said, I want you to commit to put everything inside of you, which is me. Jenny, you want everything? It's me. Guess what? Nobody can take him away from you. You might have other, your stuff taken. You might have things stolen. You might have attacks. You might have people say stuff about you. If you're doing stuff for Jesus, you will. They're going to say all sorts of lies about you. All sorts of lies. I mean, get ready. If you say yes to Jesus, people are going to lie about you. They're going to make up stories about you. It'll make you laugh. It's very good entertainment. But Matthew says to rejoice and be exceedingly glad when all sorts of evil is said about you because great is your treasure in heaven. We're supposed to rejoice. Clyde can do some rejoicing. People lying, saying stuff. Don't just walk away and go, whatever. Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Bill Johnson said it. He said, if we live by the praises of men, we will also die by their criticisms. And so we live for the praise of God. We live for the praise of God. So right now, I just want you to cloak yourself in the garment of praise. We just thank you, Father, for the garment of praise. We thank you, Father, that you have brought us into this beautiful closet where we can put on joy, we can put on gratitude, we can put on the royal garments of praise that you are the majesty, you are the king, you are above every single circumstance. 
You are above everything on the earth. You are above politics. You are above my past, my present, and my future. So Father, we lift your name. Go ahead and just in your own voice, let's just practice right here before I turn it over to Pastor Clyde. Just practice, lift his name. Not just out of your mouth, but out of your heart. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are my everything, God. You fill me with satisfaction. You satisfy the deep hunger inside of me, God, for purpose and meaning in life. You are the best father. You are the best friend. You are the best mother. You are the best coach and counselor, God. You are my comforter. We lift your name, God. We lift your name. We lift your name. We lift your name. Despair is actually breaking off many people in this room. You're actually getting a, a test right now. Feel that. Feel that despair drop off of you. Feel that hopelessness just break off of you as you lift his name. Feel it. Feel it. As you lift his name, that despair is coming off of you right now in Jesus' name because you are doing the lifting. Nobody else around you is doing it for you. You're doing it. Lifting his name, the name above all names, the Alpha and the Omega. We love you, Father. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay, when I turn this over, I'm just going to tell you this really quick, is if you want to be part of the Wake Up Dead Book launch, we'd, of course, love to have you part of it. We set up for 400 people to be able to get a merch item if they signed up for this with a book. We have a hat. It's actually really great. We have a hat and some other things that are coming with it. And we have, um, Rachel told me we have 30 more that can include a merch item. Okay, so otherwise, if it goes past that, we're, we're sending you the book. We have, we have books. We just have a limit of merch items. So it's at wakeupdeadbook.com. We are doing an eight-week Bible study starting on November 1st. It will be available live or replay, and I'm going to guide and walk people through this incredible invitation to die to yourself so that you can arise, resurrected, resurrect. True life is on the other side of dying. It really is. And so um, lots and lots of stories in there about me thinking God's trying to kill me, and he was, um, so I could die, so I could resurrect into true life. So anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much.